Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Apologies for coming a little late today. Um, Joe and Apollo are somewhere around here. It's been a little difficult. We're kind of doing a, if you could think of, kind of reminds me of the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Just trying to get this show to air however we can. Definitely going to make some upgrades to our road equipment. Um, Going to have to. But uh, hopefully everyone can hear me. Hopefully the audio isn't too bad. And uh, hopefully we can continue to broadcast today and get you guys some good interviews from different speakers. Yesterday we had Joe Flynn. We're going to be publishing that um, as a standalone podcast. Um, So that's going to be coming as soon as we go off the air. I'll be able to publish that on audio as a standalone podcast. But uh, for now, I want to recap a little bit. It's been hard here at the uh, Reawaken America tour because we're in a a church facility. And it's a a lovely facility, lovely amenities, but they have a Wi-Fi problem. This is technically, I mean, I think we're technically in like the auditorium for the school and we're dealing with <laughs> firewalls that you'd see in schools. Obviously you don't want kids looking at certain things. So the firewall doesn't let us go on social media. <laughs> it doesn't let us watch the Rittenhouse trial. So it's been a little hard to figure out all the different developments in the trial. But after I got home last night, I was able to watch some of it and my goodness, what this prosecutor is trying to do. If he is not disbarred, if he is not um, censured after this trial, it will be a complete travesty. I want to put up, Mr. Producer, if we can, image number two. Image number two. This is an image that the the prosecution introduced at trial. Now, if you're looking at that image and you have no idea what that is, you are like every other human being on earth. The prosecutor, however, contends that that is an image of Kyle Rittenhouse pointing a gun at someone else. Now, anyone who knows firearms, you know that right off the bat, this can't be Kyle Rittenhouse because Kyle Rittenhouse is a righty. So he's trying to contend that that is Kyle Rittenhouse pointing a gun lefty at someone. So, I mean, right off the bat, did Kyle Rittenhouse become a southpaw in the middle of the night and just decide to completely change the way that he holds his rifle? Probably not. But this is the problem when you have really blurry photographs and you're trying to uh, insinuate that someone is doing something illegal. The photo on the left is the upscaled version. It's the upscaled version. Believe it or not, that's, that took hours and hours to make it a little bit clearer than the image on the right. But the, the upscaling, and this is something that the prosecution brought up, sorry, the defense brought up a couple of days ago, and they didn't do it very intelligently. They didn't understand the technology, but they don't really have to. Upscaling is a technology that takes low-resolution footage and makes it bearable on higher-resolution television sets. So imagine if you were to take, I don't know, an old old footage from Bonanza or Little House on the Prairie, something from 50, 60, 70 years ago that was made for just a tube television set. And imagine you put that on a 1080p or a 4K television set. Well, there's more pixels. There's more pixels on your modern television, television set than they ever envisioned would be necessary when shooting the footage. So if you don't upscale that footage, and, and most 
uh, DVD players, game consoles, even television sets now have this technology built in where it will upscale because otherwise it'll actually look worse on a 4K TV because the pixels will look bigger. So upscaling is basically taking something that is low resolution and adding pixels, changing pixels around to make it look a little bit more passable. And that's what the prosecution did here. Now, that's automatically pretty scummy because if you're, if you're saying that this is a grainy photograph, obviously that alone is, is, is cause for concern. But when you start adding pixels, doctoring, they're talking about doctoring the footage to, in their mind, make it clearer, but they're going at this from a bias. They've said, oh, this is Kyle Rittenhouse pointing a gun. Let's make it look like Kyle Rittenhouse is pointing a gun at someone. We go ahead and take that down, Mr. Producer. The prosecution is also contending, if you put up image number three, prosecution is also contending that this is Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, this would be humorous. It would be comical if a, if a kid wasn't on trial for his life, life in prison. They're saying that that's Kyle Rittenhouse. How could you possibly know if that's Kyle Rittenhouse? You have a better, go ahead, take this down and put up the next image, image number four. You'd have better luck saying that this was Kyle Rittenhouse. And yes, this is the Loch Ness Monster. The Loch Ness Monster photograph is less blurry, less pixelated than what the, what the prosecution is claiming represents Kyle Rittenhouse. So it's really scummy. The prosecution, their job is to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Kyle Rittenhouse either um, didn't actually fear for his life or that it wasn't reasonable for him to fear that way. Those are the two ways that they can go after his charge. They haven't done any of that. Instead, they're now introducing evidence suggesting that he was doing other things wrong. Why are they doing that? They want to confuse the jury. As we've talked about on this show before, Wisconsin statute actually explicitly gives criminals the right to defend themselves with deadly force if they try and flee and can't run away anymore. So even if Kyle Rittenhouse had pointed a gun at someone, that encounter does not eliminate his privilege of self-defense later in the night. So they're trying to confuse him. And that's why today's hearing, today's hearing for the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, it's, it's not going to be particularly sexy. It's not going to be particularly exciting, but this is going to be the defense and the prosecution arguing with the judge over what the jury instruction should be, what the jury should be instructed that the law actually says, how the jury should be instructed to interpret the law. The prosecution is most likely going to contend that the statute, for example, the statute dealing with un, uh, unlawful underage firearm possession, they're going to argue that, that, that the jury should be told that Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't allowed to carry a gun, whereas the other side is going to argue that it's either specifically vague. They're going to argue legislative intent that the state legislature intended to allow um, 16, 17-year-olds to carry rifles. So this is a fight. It's not going to be sexy. You're not going to have all the made-for-TV moments that we saw over the past week or so, but it's still very important. Because after all of this, it really does come down to the jury. Now, the, process, the defense is going to file a couple of motions today. They're most likely going to file a motion for directed uh, verdict. That's where they, tell, they say to the judge, hey, the prosecution has failed to even come close to making a case. And we would like you just to rule from the bench right now. Now, that doesn't tend to happen because it, it kind of th throws a wrench in the whole proceedings. Basically, it's a waste of everyone's time. So it's hard to convince a judge to do that. But when the prosecution truly does fail to make their case, fail to even come close to arguing guilt.
This podcast is sponsored by AirMedCare Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you and your household should any of you suffer a medical emergency and need to be airlifted to a hospital. We don't get to choose when a disaster strikes. You don't get to choose how you get taken to the hospital. Anyone who has been taken to a hospital or has a loved one who's gone to a hospital by ambulance, you know it's very expensive and you know insurance won't usually cover it. Well, when you have to be airlifted by a helicopter, it's much more expensive. And yeah, insurance won't cover that either. AirMedCare Network exists to make sure you don't risk bankruptcy in the event that someone in your house has to be airlifted to a hospital for medical treatment. So when you sign up at the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily, not only are they going to give you coverage for your entire household for one year for $85, but they're also going to give you money back up to 50 bucks, depending on how many years you sign up for. So again, that's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. Proving guilt you can sometimes get a judge to do that. They're also going to probably file a motion for a mistrial with prejudice, as we've talked about in the podcast. That is to, they're going to allege that the prosecutors did things that were so horrendously egregious that they shouldn't be allowed another bite at the apple. Now, we've talked about some of these things. Before the trial, there were hearings between the defense and the prosecution arguing what kind of evidence should be admitted, and the judge, for better or for worse, made decisions on what can and cannot be admitted at trial. When the judge says evidence cannot be admitted and the prosecution tries to admit it anyway with the jury in the room, that's when you saw the judge start to scream at him. I, I, I haven't seen a judge shout that loudly in a long time. <clears throat> so that is one of the reasons that you can go for a, um, a mistrial with prejudice. The other, of course, is literally questioning Kyle Rittenhouse's right to remain silent from the stand. Now, this is a, a most basic fundamental right in American in the American justice system. You have the right to remain silent. Police officers are required to tell you that when they read you your Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Why? Because anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Not just anything you say to a cop, anything you say to a reporter, as we've seen the prosecution do throughout this case, bringing in Kyle Rittenhouse's interviews with reporters. They're trying to impeach Kyle Rittenhouse based on what he told to random rioters as if he had any expectation or requirement that he be honest with a rioter or a looter that night. But anything you say can and will be used against you. And the prosecution is literally proving that. There, for them to criticize with the jury in the room, the idea that Kyle Rittenhouse stayed quiet all this time until he was called to the stand is such an egregious violation of his right to insinuate that his silence somehow implicates him in a crime. It, it, it goes beyond the pale. And the judge said, you either are right at the line or you've just crossed over. So the defense is likely going to file that motion. They said they were going to. Today would be the day to do it. Give the judge the weekend to think it over, mull it over, write his response. right? Because there's two different type, types of, of, uh, of requests. They can either verbally ask the judge for this or they can do it in writing. They signaled that they were going to put this request in writing, this motion. So the judge would obviously need a couple of days to mull it over and, and come back with a response. If the judge does not <clears throat> give them a directed verdict, if the judge does not give them a mistrial with prejudice, it will then go to the jury. And the jury will be, will be sent to deliberate. And as I said, it really does depend. It really does depend on what the jury instructions are. Because we, me and you, we look at this and it's very obviously a case of self-defense. Kyle Rittenhouse was literally being kicked in the face. He was being hit with a skateboard. He was hit in the back of the head with a rock. He was chased by a man with a long, lengthy history of violating children who just a day or two earlier had been released from a mental institution. I mean, 
it's a cut and dry case of self-defense, but the prosecution is trying to muddy the waters. They're trying to, to trick the jury, make the jury think about things that they really shouldn't be thinking about, right? What, why Kyle Rittenhouse was putting out fires is largely irrelevant because he had a right to be there. He had a right to walk down that street. If he wants to put out a fire, he can, but they're trying to trick the jury into thinking that, that he was some kind of vigilante. That's what all that questioning was. Really disgustingly, the prosecution asked yesterday for two hours of closing statements. That's obscene. For a case where they've so, so woefully failed to actually prove their case, to then turn around and say, I want two hours to argue before the jury, before the jury deliberates, I think the defense was asking for 45 minutes. So that's going to be another thing. We're probably going to see the prosecution try and drag this out, confuse the jury. But it is a double-edged sword if you're a prosecutor because the, you want the jury to be as attentive and as focused as possible. And the longer you drag on, the less they're going to be taking notes, the less they're going to be paying attention. So we're going to continue. Um, <clears throat> we're going to continue to cover this. Obviously, Monday is going to be a big day. We're going to be kind of on call for the, the verdict. So we might go live at different times on Monday. But we've also seen some really egregious stuff from the media. This came out from CBS. If we put up, Mr. Producer, image number – oh, wait, before we go to that, this – go back to image two. I almost missed this one. Sorry. I'm not – we're on the road today. This picture of the grainy footage, they're contending that Kyle was holding up a rifle. If we take this down – and, Mr. Producer, turn the volume off when you play this clip because there's some weird volume on it. But I, I want to use this anyway because it shows the overlay of Kyle Rittenhouse. What happens if you take a picture of him from earlier in the night and overlay it on top of this blurry photograph? This producer with the volume down on the cut, let's go ahead and play cut number five. <laughs> I mean, it's right there. You can see it. You can literally, you can literally see that that is Kyle Rittenhouse. You can literally see that that is Kyle Rittenhouse with his elbow up, go ahead and take that down. Go ahead and take that down off the screen. The prosecutor is contending that Kyle Rittenhouse's elbow is a rifle, but when you actually overlay a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse, you can see it's, it's clearly his elbow. But this was really, truly egregious. So we put up image number seven, Mr. Producer. Image number seven. This came out from CBS. And this is why if you're a major media outlet, you really shouldn't let the intern, you really shouldn't let the intern post your tweets. It says Kyle Rittenhouse testified in his murder trial yesterday, breaking down in tears as he told the jury he murdered two men at a Black Lives Matter protest last year in self-defense. That is ridiculously slanderous, like not even close. He did not testify under oath that he murdered two men. <laughs> That's just not true. Now, they have since deleted their tweet. Obviously, you don't want that tweet going around. Kyle's going to be a very rich man. He's going to be a very rich man when all is said and done. We just hope that the jury will do the right, do the right thing and acquit. So if, if we go ahead, there's one other bit I want to play from the trial, and then we'll start, going to start talking about James O'Keefe. During the trial, they brought forward another videographer who was there on the ground. Oh, not a videographer. He wasn't there on the ground. He was just posting videos. And the prosecution tried to trip him up, tried to get him to admit that he was biased. And he was a great witness because he, he knew it was coming, and he gave it right back to them. So, Mr. Producer, why don't we play this cut number six? 
After this incident, the shooting occurred on August 25th, 2020. You posted uh, videos in support of the defendant after that, correct? Can you repeat the date one more time? After the shooting on August 25th, 2020, you posted uh, videos on social media in support of the defendant, didn't you? Uh, define support. You posted videos that you felt would help his case by showing aggressive behavior on the part of Joseph Rosenbaum, for example. I posted the same video that is evidence today. And in that, in your commentary associated with that video, you made some disparaging remarks about Mr. Rosenbaum, didn't you? What would you say is that? Do you remember what you said? I'd like to hear it. So you don't remember what you said? I don't have no idea. I post on Twitter many times a day. I posted many videos. If you could specify what exactly you're talking about, I could correctly answer you. Sir, I'm going to ask you a question under oath. Have you? I will tell you that I don't typically permit uh, lawyers to remind people that they're under oath. And it's happened a few times in the case here. It's not permitted. I don't think most judges do allow it. Of course, they're under oath. So it's a, it's actually it's an, it's actually a suggestion by the questioner that the witness is not being truthful. And you're welcome to argue that at the end of the trial, but don't uh, don't use it as a preface to your questions. Okay? Have you ever posted anything on social media? Yes. In support of Kyle Rittenhouse. One could argue yes. You've also been watching this trial while it's been going on, correct? Yes. And when you've been testifying, you've been referring to the defendant by his first name, Kyle, correct? Yes. And you've been referring to the uh, first person that he killed as Mr. Rosenbaum. Yes. Instead of Joe or Joseph, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that yes? Yes. Do you, as you sit here today, do you personally know the defendant? No. But yet you call him by his first name? That's his legal name. What else am I supposed to call him? Alleging. Prosecutor is trying to claim that by him calling him Kyle, it somehow shows bias. And he's really grasping at, at straws. And this was one of the better witnesses because obviously he was very comfortable with the facts of the case, very comfortable on the stand, and willing to not get not get tripped up, not get trapped, so he could actually walk around with the prosecutor. So Joe's going to be going on early. So when that happens, we're going to switch over that, Mr. Producer. Make sure you, you, you send to me in the chat so I can make set it up so it's not just a, a, a swift transition. Joe is going early with his speech here at the Reawaken America Tour event. So when that happens, we will switch over to it. I want to talk a little bit before that happens. <clears throat> Sorry, I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, about what's happening with James O'Heat. And we'll, because we'll, I, I think it, it's a similar situation. Obviously, the prosecution is going after Kyle Rittenhouse. They want him guilty, even though they know he's not. James O'Keefe with Project Veritas, they had James O'Keefe's house, and I believe also their offices, were raided by the FBI because they possessed at one point, they no longer did, a diary that is being attributed to um, a Biden family member. And that, and that diary suggests a lot of, a lot of gross stuff. I mean, Joe has talked about it. The whole thing grosses me out. It really does. It, it grosses me out to no end. Anyway, Project Veritas got this diary, could not authenticate it. 
thought that there were there were some kind of ethical questions about it. So they gave it to police without running with it. Well, they got raided this past week. And we now know that in that process, the FBI and the DOJ seized James O'Keefe's cell phone. They seized his cell phone. It's pretty egregious to seize a journalist's cell phone. But now we also know what they were doing with it. Because shortly after seizing his cell phone, all of a sudden, James O'Keefe's documents started making their way to the New York Times. Let's put up image number eight, Mr. Producer. And this is uh, a New York Times, <laughs> part of a New York Times article. Project Veritas has long occupied a gray area between investigative journalism and political spying. And internal documents obtained by the New York Times reveal the extent to which the group has worked with its lawyers to gauge how far its deceptive reporting practices can go before running afoul of federal election laws. The documents, a series of memos written by the group's lawyer, detail ways for Project Veritas sting operations, which typically diverge from standard journalistic practice by employing people who mask their real identities or create fake ones, to infiltrate target organizations infiltrate target organizations to avoid breaking federal statutes such as the law against lying to government officials. So this is this is a big deal. And I want to explain why this is a big deal. The New York Times and Project Veritas are currently in the middle of a lawsuit. They're in a lawsuit that has reached all the way to the New York State Supreme Court. So for the New York Times, again, a party to a lawsuit with Project Veritas to illegally obtain privileged documents, documents between Project Veritas employees and their legal counsel, telling them how to make sure that they continue to abide by the law, for a, a party to a suit to illegally obtain privileged uh, documents between Project Veritas and their legal counsel, and then to publish it, insinuating that Project Veritas was doing something illegal when, by their own admission, they are working with a lawyer to make sure that they are legal. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life, and I hope that we never will. This is as shady as it gets. It is, it is, it's as illegal as it gets. Imagine suing someone. Imagine suing someone, and then the government was to raid your house. They take your cell phone, and then they give the contents of your cell phone to the person that you are suing. This is what the deep state looks like, folks. This is what the deep state look, looks like. This is what the swamp is. The New York Times, they are not a media outlet. They are not a journalistic entity. They are just another arm of the deep state. And you can see it once again, working hand in glove with deep state operatives to not only smear James O'Keefe, but to hand to, to access their communications with their legal team. Presumably, I mean, we don't know. But did the New York Times just access memos from their lawyers about a legal case against them? I've never seen anything like this. And and the New York Times just publishes it. They just run with it as if there's no it's no big deal. Oh yeah, this is normal. We're just going to publish the internal documents from from a, a a group that's suing us. Oh yeah, oh by the way, it, these are the documents, the memos between them and their legal counsel. So we're just going to let you know what their legal strategies are. This is this is bad. And it's not just bad for them, it's bad for all of us because obviously Jake, Jake used to work at Project Veritas. Now he works with us. I mean, it, it, it reaches, it reaches all over the place. And if this is what they're doing to Project Veritas, an organization that is in the news, that is front and center, it's top of mind. It's, it's table 
it's kitchen table conversation kind of stuff. If they're comfortable doing that, then what are they doing to all of us? And that was kind of one of the main takeaways from Donald Trump. If they're willing to spy on Donald Trump's campaign so brazenly, what are they doing to all us, the little guys? I mean, Joe has talked on this podcast before about how he's, he's found people following him, people, people tailing him. <laughs> this is bad. The deep state is real. I posted a meme on my Telegram. If you don't already follow me on my Telegram, make sure you follow me, Max J. McGuire on Telegram. It made me laugh because it's absolutely 100% true. It was just a picture. Uh, it just said, the FBI, once upon a time, once upon a long time ago, the FBI was created to fight organized crime. Then the FBI became organized crime, the end. That is quite literally the shortest bedtime story I've ever heard of. But it, it, it's really true. The FBI is organized crime. When you are working with, with bad journalists, evil journalists, to go after legitimate journalists, like regardless of what you say about James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, regardless of whether you think it's ethical or not, they uncover a lot of shady stuff. And that is why people in power are so terrified of them. I mean, for, for them to actually talk and, and, to, and to publicize the contents of their memos with their lawyer about how they can avoid being avoid running afoul of the laws that make it a crime to lie to government officials and how they and, and ways that they can do this without lying i mean that's what the that's what the new york times does all the time i mean we've we've, we've talked about all the undercover journalists undercover cops at the january 6th protests um that and also the the other protests where we had all those undercover FBI agents that were very obviously undercover. No, they, they do this all the time. They lie about who they are. They lie about their intentions to entrap conservatives. I mean, I was just watching, I don't, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but there is a January 6th protester who is now in hiding in Belarus asking for political asylum. Just, just think about this. We live in a country where the crime of protesting and petitioning the government for a redress of your grievances has now led someone to seek political asylum in a former Soviet bloc country. And Belarus is not perfect. Belarus is far from perfect. And he, in the, the protester used to be in Ukraine, but all of a sudden Ukraine started tailing him too. So he had to go to Belarus. He crossed illegally, was, was arrested, and he, claimed, and he, he asked for political asylum. I don't know if he's going to get it. He should. I mean, we don't see a lot of legitimate political asylum cases these days, but this is one of them. He is not being prosecuted, targeted for a crime. He's being prosecuted because of what he believes, what he advocates, what those beliefs stand for. They've also started prosecuting people who didn't even go inside the Capitol building. They're prosecuting people who were just standing on the steps, standing on the steps for the People's House. We've covered this on the podcast before, but when you had the bonus army after World War I, these were veterans who were being denied their payments for fighting in World War I. And they were, and obviously there's depression, right? They need the money. The government kept kicking the can down the road saying, oh, we'll give you the money eventually, eventually. But for now, you just got to sit tight. Well, these guys, these veterans were like, hey, I, I, we can't afford to live. So they actually created like a little shantytown on the National Mall. And they protested on the steps of the Capitol. You know what happened? The government sent tanks after them. They sent tanks after them. They burned their shanty village down. 
but the protesters still won. And they didn't throw all the protesters in jail for the crime of standing or sitting on the steps of the United States Capitol. Yeah, it, it was kind of ridiculous to, to send tanks. And in fairness, these were World War I tanks, still, still terrifying for the time. But to send tanks at them, egregious. But they, they didn't actually throw them all in prison. We've talked about this on the podcast a bunch of times. We look at Shays Rebellion, Whiskey Rebellion. There are times in our history where Americans have actually taken shots and killed U.S. soldiers in active rebellion, and they were pardoned. They were prosecuted, they were convicted, and they were ultimately pardoned because the cooler heads prevailed and understood, hey, we can't just start putting the opposition party to death. Joe Biden doesn't, doesn't look at it this way. Doesn't look at it this way at all. They, they want to crush the conservative movement because they want to make sure that we don't exist to take them down. They, they want to preserve their power. That's the Democrat mantra, by any means necessary. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. They want to hold on to power by any means necessary. If they have to throw a bunch of innocent people in jail, if they have to torture them in jail, they'll do it. Because they're starting to realize that they're not going to be able to hold on to their power legitimately. We've talked a lot on the show about Virginia. We were talking with, um, with, with Joe yesterday about Virginia. Do we really believe that 48% of Virginia voted for Tyra McAuliffe? Probably not. There are a lot of Democrats in Virginia. Are there that many, though? Maybe. Democrats thought they had that in the bag. Then they started sending Obama, Biden, Kamala into into campaign. You started to realize, oh, they were a little scared. Do you know what the new line from Democrats are, from Democrat uh, political operatives, the new talking point? You cannot, they're telling Democrats, you cannot allow Republicans to make the 2022 midterms about family. You cannot allow Republicans to become the party of family. They're terrified. They know that their their days are quite literally numbered. I don't know how many days we have until the midterm elections, how many days we have until the next inauguration, but their days are literally numbered. And Virginia was a huge wake-up call. New Jersey was also a huge wake-up call for them. They thought they had New Jersey in the bag. Obviously, there was, there was definitely some fraud. Same thing happened. We went to bed, 100% reporting, right? 100% reporting, Republican had won certain counties. Woke up the next morning, oh, we found new votes. Same, same game. We found new votes. On that, I want to play this clip. Joe's going to be going on the air soon, so Mr. Producer, make sure that we get that all set up. Edward Durr, we've been talking about Edward Durr. He's my favorite politician by far. And I said on Telegram that he hasn't even done anything yet. That's not entirely true. He has defeated Steve Sweeney. Maybe this is just because I used to live in New Jersey and I hated Steve Sweeney too. He wasn't my representative, but he chaired the committees in the New Jersey legislature that dealt with gun control. And I went to a lot of those hearings. I testified at a lot of those hearings. And to see his smug face, to see him not paying attention, it just just got to be too much. Well, Edward Durr, a truck driver with a, <laughs> with a four-figure budget, four or five figure budget was able to unseat the most powerful man in the New Jersey, New Jersey legislature. And he was on Tucker Carlson either last night or the night before. And Tucker Carlson asked him about his phone call with Edward Durr. Sorry, his Edward Durr's phone call with Steve Sweeney. And he, and he told Tucker Carlson a really funny anecdote that I wanted to play for you. As he was finishing up his phone call, he told Steve Sweeney, which is why it's so funny. Steve Sweeney, the most entrenched 
connected union politician in the state of New Jersey. If he wants anything, he can get it, which is why it's so funny. Edward Durr told him, don't worry. If, if you ever need anything, just call me because I'm your representative now. Let's play cut number 10, Mr. Producer. You know, and like I told him, I said, you know, if he ever needed anything, just give me a call, you know, because I'm, I'm his representative now. <laughs> That's so great. If you ever need anything, just give me a call because I am your representative now. I also love the quote. I said it yesterday on one of our broadcasts. Edward Durr was asked, I believe, by The Atlantic of what he knows about governance, how, what, how he could possibly know what to do. And he admitted, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't make it worse, can I? And anyone who lives in New Jersey, anyone who's a property owner in New Jersey, you know that they really can't make it worse. They can. They're always dreaming up new ways to violate people's rights, to, to take money from them. I mean, New Jersey, I think, is the only state, or one of the only states in the country that has an exit tax. So if you sell a home and you do not buy another home in New Jersey, you have to pay the government, I think it's between 1% and 2% of your profits on your home, or, or it's on the total wholesale. I don't know. Um, I was talking to my dad because my dad, my mom and dad still live in New Jersey. They're talking about selling their home, and they have an exit tax. So if you sell your home and you don't, within a certain amount of time, buy a new home in New Jersey, they consider you to have exited the state, and they charge you an extra tax, which I think is 2% of the home sale price anyone who's in new jersey who has experienced this you can go ahead and uh and correct me in the comment section but i believe it's it's close close to two percent of the sales price so we're getting close we're getting close to to joe getting on the stage soon i, I know they've started playing music in there he should be on relatively soon some of the the scheduling got a little bit mixed up he was supposed to talk yesterday so he was actually going to be flying today he had to rework his schedule a little bit and fly later today, move his flight so that he could speak. But these events are great. And, and, and I know we have a, we want to talk with the Sherwoods today. I think we have them lined up for later today. Mark Sherwood, frequent guest of the show. Um, I, I love him. <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. So it's going to be great to meet him in person today. I may I have to remember to flag him down when I see him, even if we're live. Um, it's just it's it's fun here. There's there's a lot of everyone understands we have to pull from the same rope. And even if you disagree on some issues, like I, I don't disagree with every I don't agree with everyone here on on other vaccine issues. But when it comes to vaccine mandates, we are 100 percent on the same page. Right. So the whole purpose of this event is to get everyone together and to literally pull from the same rope and to achieve and to achieve something, which is what which is something that's desperately needed. I mean, there's a concept in political science called slacktivism slacktivism and what slacktivism is is it's basically activism but without actually doing anything keyboard warriors the idea that just by commenting on a political video you've done your part or by hitting the thumbs up button you've done your part and, and we sometimes get sucked into that mentality right there's we're being bombarded with so many things sometimes we feel that oh yeah well i i retweeted it and we tell you guys to share the podcast i'm glad that everyone does we can't just get, we can't just get this slack. We can't become slacktivists. We have to actually get boots on the ground. We actually, we have to get butts in the seats at these, at these school board meetings, these town hall meetings. Oh my goodness. It was great. Uh, I, I didn't prepare. I wish I did. Loudoun County had a, had a, a school board meeting this week and the parents showed up and instead of 
taking them to task, instead of trying to undress them, instead of trying to air all of the grievances, the parents had a simple message. They were informing the school board that they have collected enough signatures to force a recall. Because in Loudoun County, you just need, I believe it's, I believe it's a 10%, 20%, something like that, of, of the number of votes that, that were cast in the last school board. So a school board isn't a very popular election. So they have gotten enough votes to recall all of them. They've got enough signatures to recall all of them. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and if you listen to it, I, I, I'm going to try and pull it when we're off the air later so I can come back later and play it. One of the parents explained that they, they didn't think it was worth it to show up. They knew that the school board wasn't paying attention. They knew that they were just on their phones. But then they realized that they weren't talking to the school board. They were there talking to the other parents who were at home who were just as angry, but for whatever reason didn't show up. And so even when you think it's hopeless, whether it's Steve Sweeney or it's the Loudoun County School Board, know that it is not hopeless. Just because someone occupies the chair and they've occupied the chair for a long time doesn't mean that they're invincible. Ed, Edward Durr, to his credit, he identified that Steve Sweeney had never gotten more than 32,000 votes. And that if he got 32,000 votes, he would win. What did he do? He did it. These people are not invincible. They want you to believe that they're invincible so that you'll submit to their will, submit to their demands. But they're all defeatable. All these fights are winnable. But it takes going to these meetings. It takes going to these school board races, going to these school board meetings. So that's what you got to do. That's what we're here advocating, and that's why this is so exciting. So we have Joe going on the stage now. Why don't we cut away and listen to Joe speak at the Reawaken America tour event here in San Antonio. Mr. Producer, let's go to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our next speaker, our next presenter, is a very successful entrepreneur who had hundreds of employees and all sorts of reasons to not fight back. But he discovered the corruption, the election fraud, and this little guy who was the head of security for a company called Dominion by the name of Eric Coomer, who happens to be pro-Antifa. And so he decided to put his career on hold and to put his 100% focus on trying to save this nation and to expose the corruption of election fraud. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand to your feet and greet Joe how you guys doing? I was going to come here and try to convince you that the election was stolen. I don't have to convince you? Man, that's a conspiracy. Yeah. I love that sound. First, I want to take a second, and if you're a veteran, please stand up. We want to give you a round of applause. You fought for us. We're going to fight for you. Thank you. I was a tech CEO that got involved in this fight, frankly, because they started taking the Constitution, balling it up, and throwing it in the trash. I saw businesses burn. And then I happened to get on this fateful call with Eric Coomer of Dominion Voting Systems, and he said I wasn't on that call. 
And if you guys haven't gotten a chance to actually watch his deposition, the four hours that Sidney Powell's attorney eviscerated him in that deposition, he lied, then lied again, then lied again, and then admitted at the very end, well, I might support Antifa. I didn't lie. So I'm going to start this by telling you this. Galatians 4.16 says, am I the enemy because I tell you the truth? I'm not your enemy, but I'm their enemy, and I'm glad to be their enemy. Some of you think that we're losing. Some of you think that nothing's happening. So I'm going to give you an example. Guy goes into a crowd, sees a 12-year-old, shoots that 12-year-old, 300 people watch it happen. They arrest him, they take him to court, the judge asks him, guilty or not guilty? And he says what? But 300 people saw him shoot that 12-year-old. Why didn't he say he was guilty? Because they lie. And when they're done lying, they lie again. And when they're done lying about that, they lie again. Because the radical left are nothing but liars. They are everything that they say that they are fighting against, and they are trying to steal everything from our nation. But the truth does come to the, come to the surface. We need to be patient. We need to be disciplined. We need to pray. We cannot go forward until we go and fix the election in 2020. Yeah. We have been betrayed we have been betrayed by those people in our country that want to convince you there's nothing to see here. But they are not just Democrats. The line today is not between Republicans and Democrats. The line today is between good and evil. The line today that we have is one between are you a communist, do you want to destroy the sacrifice that came before us, or are you an American? Those are your choices. We don't need to be convinced that the election was stolen. What we need to do is stop people like Chris Christie from standing on a stage and saying, quit looking in your mirror. And these elected officials from telling us there's nothing to see here. Our leaders ineffective and standing for each other, for greed and power and authority, not standing for the values of the American people. If the Democrats and the radical left was so good, why is everything that they touch turning to crap? I'm in a church, I use crap. <laughs> is it just a coincidence? It's a critical place in our history. It's the greatest time also to be alive in humanity. So now I'm gonna tell you guys something. Women, stand up. And if you're a biological woman, stand up. If you're not a biological woman, please do not stand up. 
I want to give you a round of applause because the only reason that we're able to save this nation is because of you. You have been putting Band-Aids and duct tape on this country for decades. So my hat's off to you. Okay, now sit down for a minute. Men, stand up. Oh, you knew where this was going. I'm going to talk to you like a CEO. Okay? Men, our wives, our children do not want us to bring home the bread. That's not what they want. You know what they want? They want you to be what God made you to be. Every single day I talk to men that say, I've got to go to work. I've got to, I've got to make a living. Okay. Look, I grew up poor. I ate ramen noodles. It wasn't so bad. If you are not willing to make the sacrifice in this nation, if you're not willing to stand up for the sanctity of your body, if you're not willing to protect your children, what are you willing to protect? You have to look to your left and look to your right. You have to say to each other this one thing. What they do to you, go ahead and say it, they do to me. As you stand shoulder to shoulder, you need to make sure that that means something. You have a decision to make. This country can be saved. This country will be saved. God wins, we win. But it won't happen without you. You have to stand in the gap. And God, by the way, many of you won't get there at the same time. So you have to have the patience with other men next to you and encourage them that courage is more infectious than fear. And you will stand next to them if they will stand next to you. Go ahead and sit down. We are in this great place called the United States of America. And just to give you guys just a little bit, I was this poor kid that grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. My dad is black. My mom is white. My whole family's interracial. My brother was murdered by a police officer in 2017. I am one of eight. I have two kids. I have a guilt complex. Because I don't think I deserve the blessings that God has given me my entire life. I didn't want to get in this fight. I didn't want to stand up. I didn't want to give up my dream of being a tech CEO that I built on a cocktail napkin to be one of the largest data companies in the country. I didn't, I didn't want to give that up. I didn't want to give up the reputation that I had spent decades building. But then there's this thing. God judges you by your character. Reputation is that thing that man can screw up. But I know for such a time as this, we have an obligation to our country. We have an obligation to each other. We have an obligation to other countries around the world. Because... If the U.S. falls, so does other countries. 
so I will gladly give up my life. I've had nice death threats. I've, I mean, it's, I've had the whole gamut. They've written a ton of articles about me. Most of them are really fun to read, but they're not true. I don't really care what they do to me. I'm willing to die on that hill. And you've had speaker after speaker come up here and tell you about standing up and telling pastors to stand up. So this last part is not about the election, although I'm going to show you this. Go ahead and put that up. All right, you see this line with the, the blue and the red? All right, so that is the election of all 50 states crunched together. We know they didn't steal six states or five states or three states. They stole all of them. Look at the lines and how they follow each other in perfect unison. Is that normal? By the way, that's on timestamps. So all those are timestamped. All of those changes happened at the same time across the entire country. How is that possible? I want to give a shout out to Lisa Smith, Draza Smith. She actually built this model and spent all the time putting that together. How is it that you saw an instantaneous in all 50 states a flip of Biden to Trump votes, which is the green line, which happened at, I think, 4 o'clock in the morning. Remember what happened? But the election wasn't stolen. There's nothing to see here. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon, right there, yes. Let's go, Brandon. Yes. I love that. Where's that from? <laughs> Listen, there, there's a lot of problems facing us, a lot of chaos that's out there from the left. I still have a smile on my face. I'm from the south side of heaven. I've never seen a fight I didn't like. And I've never started a fight, but I've finished a whole lot of them. I'd venture to say that most of you are like that as well. Right? Yet some of these churches teach us that we have to turn the other cheek. I will turn the other cheek, and I will help them, and I will pray for them after we win. <laughs> Not before. Yes, Trump won. But here we are. Critical race theory, gender fluidity. They want to convince you that your kids, actually, they want to recruit your kids to join this deviant lifestyle. They're not hiding anymore. If you haven't heard it yet, Clay is going to talk to you specifically about some of the things that they're doing. They're just not hiding it. They're, you know, HR 6666. We are at a critical place in this country. All of that opportunity and chaos that they create is to steal the ability for you to have a voice. So I'm going to tell you in 35 seconds, because I want to respect the next speaker coming up, what you can do. Number one, you can go next door and you can shake your neighbor's hand. You can join a group. 
Can you put that other thing up, please? The other one up? We built this organization called FEC United. FEC United stands for Faith, Education, and Commerce. We have a policy and politics division as well. We ran 53 candidates in 2020 election, 2021 election, and we won all 53 school boards. You have to run for office. You've got to connect to other people in your community. Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. You've got to make the differentiation between are you a communist, are you evil, or are you an American? Everyone needs to go there. It's $60 to sign up for the entire year. We have 279,000 members. We grow by five to 800 members a day. I do not get paid anything to run around the country and talk about election integrity and to do my part to serve you because you're worth it because we're worth it. So I'll leave you with this. We win, God wins. It's biblical. I'm not waiting for revelations to come to my door. I'm gonna do everything I can to preserve this country and to preserve our world. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. One more time, that's Joe Oatman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our next presenter is a former Pfizer employee, a former analyst for the pharmaceutical and medical device industries, turned truth-telling whistleblower about what is inside the COVID-19 vaccines. Ladies and gentlemen, she's here to talk about a topic that's going to sound like this. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please stand to your feet and greet Karen Kingston! Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. You guys are so kind. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. I, I, I'm just going to, this is going to be um, that Tina Turner song on the river. We're going to start off nice and easy, and then it's going to get real fast and heavy. So, okay, can we just go to the first slide? Um, are unvaccinated children and adults a threat to national security? Absolutely not. You guys are smart. Um, <laughs> So why do I have this question up here? Um, the objective of my talk today is to explain how we got in this mess, give a quick overview of the state of the mess that we're in. So hopefully the... So we're back. That was Joe on stage with his fiery speech. So yeah, it was, I, I've heard the speech so many times, but uh, they loved him. Lots of applause, lots of uh, standing ovation as he left. So I don't know if Joe's going to make his way back here to the media area. Um, I know he has a flight soon, but if he does, we'll, we'll put him on. But we're up against uh, the end of the, the hour, so that's going to be it for this edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. We're going to continue broadcasting throughout the day, but we still want to keep the regular podcast hours, the morning show, the evening show. So the evening show will be produced like normal. We might make a compilation of interviews we do throughout the day. But that's going to be it for this morning edition of the show. If you like the Conservative Daily Podcast, if you want to continue to get the Conservative Daily Podcast, you got to make sure you subscribe everywhere you can find it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, and Audible. If you can, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts and help us climb up in those Apple Podcast rankings. And give us a five-star review if you can. Even if you don't have an Apple device, you can download iTunes on your Windows laptop, create an Apple ID, and then subscribe and give us a five-star review that way. So please do that if you can. It'd be very, very helpful. Um, also, make sure you check out our sponsors. We, we've talked about Liberty Cigars. If you go to libertycigars.com and use promo code BEFREE, you're going to get a free cigar on all orders over $76. So check that out. Also, our friends at MyPill, they really need our help, and there, there's no better 
company to support in these times, especially if you want to give your, your family a really good American-made gift. So go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CD21 to get up to 66% off on your order. It's the best promo code they have available. Just check out all the links in the description. We'll be continue, continuing to go live throughout the day, so stay tuned for that. And then we will come back in our normal time slot, 7 p.m. Eastern, with a regular show as well. So that's going to be it for this morning edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Remember, everyone, that the fight to take back our country is not over yet. But the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together.